What is up? Welcome to the Black and Gold Banneret Podcast. Jeff Sharon, Brian Murphy, Eric Lopez with you here uh, as we are. Oh my gosh, it's football. It, it's it's time for football. We have college football in well, tomorrow <laughs> on the twenty on the twenty second. We're recording this on Wednesday, and uh, we have week zero coming up, boys. It's it's here. It's actually here. Oh, I'm so thrilled, Jeff. I know you are. I, are you as I'm not thrilled sure as what I am? football you, you're talking about. I know we got football on the 24th, not on, you know. Oh, what am I saying? No, they have the Miami game is not on Thursday. It's on uh, it's on Saturday. That's right. For, for some reason, yeah, I thought correct. it was. that's correct. I wouldn't. <laughs> anyway. Oh, I, I wouldn't... Hey, guys, we follow sports for a living. I know. Hey. I know. I'm, listen, here's the thing. I'm so excited to start college football season that I thought the first big game of the year was two days early i'm like let's go let's get it out of here so um we are black and gold banneret.com sb nation's home for ucf sports you can follow us at black and gold banneret.com ucf underscore banneret on twitter facebook.com slash black and gold banneret we've got a lot for you today we've got a smorgasbord of interviews for you on an extended show here as we uh as we conclude uh our uh, spring previews we've got uh, UCF men's soccer coach Scott Calabrese previewing his team. We've got UCF volleyball coach Todd Dagenet previewing his team. And we've got former UCF baseball player and current Seattle Mariner Dylan Moore joining us on the show. That's why Murph sounds like he's recording from a cardboard box because he's inside his car in Tampa. I having thought he was, seen... at, he was still at the press box at Tropicana Field after that thrilling Rays win over the Mariners walk-off and a pivotal, pivotal playoff you know win. You know what, Eric? I'm so happy that I left that stadium today and and neither of these three things happened. I didn't have a flat tire. I didn't get pulled over for speeding. And I didn't run into the rapture, which is either one of those has happened to wow. me every time I go to the tree. So it's been good. Excellent. It's been good today. Excellent. So we've got all that for him. But we're going to start with, of course, uh, you know, football. Um, little grab bag of football stories for you for us to pick apart here in the first part of the show. Um, probably the big news from the week was uh, was UCF getting seven number seventeen also in the preseason AP top twenty five. Remember they were seventeenth in the coaches. We had we talked about it last week. Um, Luke Saris had reached out to uh, Brett McMurphy, who's an AP voter who left UCF off his ballot, and I think there were I think I read that there were there were six people that. Uh, that that got scoped out for who their ballot was uh, for their AP ballots and released them early. Three of them left UCF off, and it turns out that they were three of relatively few people who left UCF off the ballot. I know what you're going to say, preseason poll. I think it was eight. Was it, was it eight? eight? Somewhere around eight, yeah, out of 60-some yeah. voters. But um, UCF ended up in, uh, in uh, 17th, same place that they were in the coaches' poll. Some interesting notables. Um, of course, the top five, as you would expect, Clemson, Alabama, Georgia, Oklahoma, Ohio State. LSU is sixth. That's the team that UCF lost to most recently. Florida is eighth. Miami and Florida State are unranked. Florida State did not even receive a vote. Um, Stanford, UCF's opponent in week three, is right on the line, 25th. Um and uh, let's see, what else do we have there? Uh, only uh, uh, the only other teams from the American that received any votes were Cincinnati and Memphis. Boise State got some votes from the non-automatic qualifier conferences. They were eight spots out of the top twenty-five. Cincinnati was nine. So, um, pretty much what we expected, right? No real big storylines there, uh, but. Uh, 
I would like for us to dispel the myth that this has anything to do with the playoff rankings once again. So, uh, uh, Murph, can you please do that for me? This has nothing to do with the playoff rankings. Thank you. Eric, you agree? Uh, yeah. Okay, moving on. Um, the big story that uh, UCF fans are actually looking at, or following intently, and we're following intently, you know, whether or not we have to, is the quarterback situation. So, um, uh, Murph, you've been at practice. You've been uh, talking to Josh Heupel, talking to Jeff Lebby, talking to the players. Um, still no starting quarterback has been named. And you wrote uh, an excellent piece where you, the headline says, you know, it, it, and for those of you who just read headlines, you need to read more than that. Who is UCF starting quarterback? It really doesn't matter. <laughs> Which um, it, it broke down. And in that, you kind of broke down like the entire quarterback situation um, in terms of, you know, what it really means with Florida A&M coming up and UCF's a 45-and-a-half-point favorite. Um, it's... Is there is there any like based on what you've been able to glean from the players and the coaches? Is there a little bit of urgency because I know you're one of your other pieces this week. You know the players are kind of like, hey man, you know we're looking forward. To, we want to know who's QB one right now. But um, I, I, I'm gathering you didn't detect any urgency at all. No, I mean the players might want to know. And again, they said they told that to me at the beginning of media day at the last day of July. You know, right before they started fall camp. So, uh, you know, they probably know by now. Let's be honest. Uh, this team probably knows who their starting quarterback is for week one. And I firmly believe that. They just don't want to tell we laymen who are outside <laughs> the headquarters. But that's fine. That's totally their prerogative. I would have, I would have, I would have bet that uh, something would have come down Tuesday because you saw all these other programs like Oklahoma, Ohio State, USC, Auburn, West Virginia. They all named their starting quarterback. But not Jeff, not uh, Josh Heupel. He's 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 uh, keeping it close to the vest, even though they've started game prep for FAMU. Um, but ultimately, like I said in my piece today, uh, the starter, the the, the the whoever's named the starter, is really only the starter for one game. Right. It really is, because all these guys have flaws. No one is assured of anything. If someone plays really well in that FAMU game, you might have a different starter for the FAU game, and then a different starter for the Stanford game. It really doesn't matter who the starter is because that the starter is sure of nothing past one snap. And, and you know, my thought on it, what you know, it, going going off of that was, you know, not just one game, but one snap. When you think yeah. about it, I mean, how do we know that? It, really, okay, we're naming a starting quarterback. Really, that only goes as far as who's the guy who's going to take the first offensive snap of the season. For all we know, right? You know, Hypo might platoon. We might see Wimbush out there, and then Gabriel trots out, and Wimbush does something different. Um, you know, we've seen him kind of pull those rabbits out of his hat before. I think back to the ECU game. Um, Last year, Eric, I don't know. What do you think on this? I know you. I know you said uh, you know, on uh, on a Jeff Allen show that you know you're you're in on Wimbush, but um, I'm guessing you wouldn't be surprised either if you saw um, if we saw a, a healthy amount of Dylan Gabriel, particularly in the first game, right? I don't wouldn't be surprised if we saw every quarterback play this year. Hayden Kingston, like you're up. Yeah. I mean, look, here's the thing. I gave this stat on that podcast you mentioned. I'll, I'll give it here to back Murph's story here. Since the stadium uh, was built on campus, the first season, 2007, 
there's only been four seasons where the starting quarterback for UCF at the beginning of the year started every game and took every significant snap of that season. That was Kyle Israel in 2007. That was Blake Bortles, 2012, 2013, and Mackenzie Milton, 2017. Every other season, either via injuries or benching or what we saw in 2011, a platoon situation, uh, you know, where Jeff Gottfried started every game, but Blake Bortles came in relief in 10 of those games. Odds are we're going to see quarterback change for various whatever reasons uh, this year. I've come and I've felt all along this was going to be a year where you're going to see probably two quarterbacks in a minimum, uh, I think, start this year just because of various reasons. You have a, a situation like Brandon Woodenbush, who has questions whether he could throw the football or not, lost his job at Notre Dame. But then you also have a true freshman in Dylan Gabriel that has no experience. And then you have Mac, who's currently injured, and we don't know when he's going to come back, but has experience in playing. So I'm with Murph just because they named the starter. I don't. I think it's irrelevant. I think the really interesting question, and what we'll find out in the FAMU game, is how does Josh Heupel use these quarterbacks? Maybe gives us an idea of what he's thinking, and maybe that's part. Of, I think that might be part of why we haven't had an announcement. It's not necessarily. I, I agree with Murph. I think everybody knows who the starter is by now. But I think there's a lot probably thinking within that coaching staff of how do we want to use this quarterback? Uh, do we use him in, in, in significant roles? Do we use him in mop-up duty? Do we try to redshirt a Dylan Gabriel? Or do we play him right away? Do we play him significant series? So I think they're trying to maybe figure all that out. And then there's the Matt question. When does he come back? What do you do when he comes back? I mean, so I, I, I'm, I just don't – again, I think we've wasted time with this. Because it really doesn't matter. Because I really believe who there are going to be multiple quarterbacks going to play in the FAMU game and probably in the FAU game if they play well. So uh, I don't think we're going to have a true resolution to this situation, uh, you know, for at least multiple games throughout the season, if at all. I guess the 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 cliche that a lot of that that some people kind of throw around is well, if you have two quarterbacks, you really don't have any, right? Do you think, and Murph, this is for you, do you think that's the case here? No, because, I mean, I think I think these guys are talented. And, again, this isn't the pros. This is a different level of game. This is a different game. Uh, so you hear that thing in the pros. But they, they, it's not like they don't have good, talented quarterbacks. Right. They have talented quarterbacks. They're not sure which one they really want to start. And those guys have different strengths. Like Dylan Gabriel's strength, which is really his – ball placement and accuracy is not Brandon Wimbush's strength. But Wimbush is a bigger kid. He's probably a, a, just a, a better uh, dual-threat athlete right now, obviously more experienced. It's not like they don't have options. They have great options. They're just trying to figure out which one is best suited for right now. Yeah, it's uh, – boy, if only we could put the two of those guys in a blender and and and, and you would come out with, like, the perfect quarterback, right? Well, well, they had that. That was called McKenzie Miller. That's true. And, yeah. and the difference is they don't have that. So that's the interesting thing. is you're, you're, I don't care who it is at the quarterback position. There's going to be a drop-off of level of play just because you are not you can't expect them to play at the level of McKenzie Milton did, uh, in particular, the last two years. The And, and Brian brings it up. These guys have different uh, you know things they do well, and they also have different flaws. I mean, there's different questions. Wimbush is a great runner, might be the best runner as far as the quarterback position 
on the roster, but may not be the most accurate passer. So that's a, you know, how do you, can you play with that? Uh, you know, Gabriel might be the most talented, but has no experience. He's raw. So you just have so many different dynamics that are certainly unknown questions. And the bottom line is, again, I don't think we're going to know until we get some mm-hmm. actual games in. And if history has shown, as I just gave you, with the history of UCF quarterbacks, just because a guy's named the starter doesn't mean he's going to end up being the starter for the whole year. I mean, I remember it was back-to-back years. Rob Calabrese was this fantastic spring quarterback. And then when the lights came on, he struggled big time and lost his job twice. Same thing with Pete DeNovo in 2014. Outperformed, uh, you know, uh, and Justin won the Holman, job yeah. quarterback. He outperformed Holman, and he was terrible for the first half of that Penn State game in Ireland, and Holman came in. And, and took the job from the, the rest of the way. Uh, Mackenzie Milton wasn't even supposed to play his freshman year, but Holman got hurt in the Michigan game, and Scott Frost said, screw it, we're going to screw the red shirt. We're going to play this kid, Milton, even though he may not be 100% ready, and we're going to throw him out there for experience. Now, the luxury that Hypo and the staff has, they don't now, with the new rules, you could play a Dylan Gabriel four games and still redshirt him if that's what you choose to do. So, uh, he has a little bit more at the plate to play with in that regard. And he might just decide, hey, you know, we, I think Gabriel might be in the mix. So I, I think there's a lot of questions. Uh, but I don't, again, until we see them play real competition in games and how they handle the bright lights, uh, we won't see what kind of comes out of that uh, situation with the quarterback position. Fair enough. Fair enough. All right. Well, um, Murph, when are we going to hear from Hypo again? Saturday, I think? Saturday at noon. <laughs> All right, and you'll be there, and we probably. But Brian, I mean, I mean, I remember we were both uh, we were all at media day. I mean, didn't we all pretty much assume that we weren't going to hear about the quarterback starter until literally this Saturday? Like, yeah, I, I think kind we of. Did. I, I really, again, I was really influenced by all the other programs that are naming their starter. Other programs who had competitions who had decided to come out last week, last two, well, on Tuesday, a couple days ago. And so I thought maybe UCF would do the same. But, yeah, I, I think in our heart of hearts we knew it wouldn't come, you know. We, we, we should stick to our original intuition, which is, yeah, they probably weren't going to say anything till this week at the earliest. Maybe he won't even say anything Saturday. He might wait till his last uh, pre, uh, pregame availability on Tuesday, or we may not know until we see who walks out on the field first. Well, you know, uh, this is the year of the freshman quarterback. You know, Arizona State, Auburn, North Carolina are all trotting true freshmen out there. I think Auburn just named Bo Nix their uh, their starter. Is he is he Patrick Nix's son? Yes. Yeah, that's what I yes. thought. Okay, yes. yeah. Yeah, yes, yes. Yes. Yeah, so, well, well, yeah, no wonder that happened there. But, um, yeah, who knows? I, I, I think it's an interesting um, – it's a really interesting question. It's so intriguing, um, but also it feels like to make a very bad Harry Potter analogy, it's like Mackenzie Milton's Horcruxes got split between Brandon Wimbush and yeah. and Dylan Gabriel. It's like you got to pick one or the other, and you can't pick both. Um, now, so now, Brian, I now if I'm not mistaken, I believe they have to have a depth chart comes out Friday, right? Because it's the week, it's game week, yeah, fam- sure. game, and you have to have a depth chart now. You could mess around with the depth chart and not necessarily name your quarterback on the depth chart because you know you can finagle it and say you well, could so and so put slash or right so yeah so and so or so and they probably do that in multiple positions too. They probably yes. do that in multiple yeah. positions. Yeah, they did that with like, Otis last year. I, think, I thought. Yeah, I think there's other questions on this team, and I know we'll get into more of this next week. 
I mean, the kicking game to me, I think is more fascinating. Like, who the heck's going to kick for this team and punt? Because I do think that plays a role. And I know we joke about, oh, we don't need him. We scored so much. But, you know, there's that that that's a field position game situation there that does matter. UCF has been very good the last couple of years with Loudermilk and Matthew Wright as far as playing the field position game, nailing the field goals. You don't have to worry about missed extra points. You know, we've taken it for granted. And I think when you don't have a Heisman Trophy top 10 quarterback with you this year, you're going to probably play in some closer games. You know, room for error is a little less, and you you, you want to make sure you're short up at the kicking game. And, you know, I'm sure there's other positions that I think are just as interesting to see how they look on the depth chart. But obviously we're going to focus on the quarterback yeah. uh, deal. But I, hopefully, I think we'll have some idea uh, by Saturday. I think you're right, too. So, uh, But then again, maybe we won't. So we'll have to keep an eye on it. We'll follow Brian at Spokes underscore Murphy on Saturday to see if something uh, comes down on that. All right. We, we got a stacked show, so we're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we're going to finish off our fall previews here. Uh, we're going to have Scott Calabrese and, uh, and then Todd Dagenet, men's soccer coach Scott Calabrese and volleyball coach Todd Dagenet, previewing their teams here. And then a little bit later, we'll have Dylan Moore, UCF baseball alum, now at the Seattle Mariners. Murph caught up with him uh, on his latest trip to St. Petersburg. Don't go away. The Black and Gold Banneret Podcast is back after this. We're back here with the Black and Gold Banneret Podcast. Jeff Sharon and Eric Lopez with you here. Brian's uh, stepped out for a little bit, but uh, we've got a couple of preview interviews we got uh, coming your way. So we talked to Tiffany Roberts of Haydack last week from UCF Women's Soccer. And uh, on this show, we're going to flip it over to the men's side, the UCF men's soccer team who last year had just a magical, magical season the resurgence of UCF men's soccer they go 13-3 and 3 5 and 1 in the american win the conference uh, or, 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 or win the conference regular season title lose in the uh, final at home in pk's which just stinks i mean what are you going to do um, uh, but made it to the ncaa's got actually a first round bye to the ncaa's before Losing in overtime on a golden goal uh, to a very game uh, squad from Lipscomb. Um, and so uh, Scott Calabrese, even though uh, this team could, uh, you, know, it, you know, was spectacular last year and is, and is expected to be it at just as good, if not possibly better, this year. Earlier today, they were picked as the preseason favorite uh, in the American, got every vote but one. SMU got the other vote. Uh, four UCF players are on the preseason uh, are on the preseason conference first team, uh, and uh, Cal Jennings was named preseason player of the year. Yannick Edel, the goaltender, the goalkeeper rather, was named uh, preseason goalkeeper of the year. You get the feeling, Eric Lopez, that they uh, that last year left a little, still little, the way it ended, left a little bit of a bitter taste in their mouth, didn't it? They do, but that's in the rearview mirror. This is a new season with a 10 new faces on this roster after losing 10 seniors uh, from last year's ball club. This is a team that comes in ranked 15th in the nation in year three of Scott Calabrese. Not many would have thought they would be in this position this quick where they'd be the highest ranked team on campus. And they return, of course, a nucleus that includes Cal Jennings, who is a, one of the top players in the country. On Monday, I had a chance to catch up with Coach Calabrese prior to their opening exhibition match against Eastern Florida State College and talked about this upcoming season and what they learned from last year and certainly the year ahead, which is going to start with an incredible uh, slate of games to start the year. Here is now 
my conversation with Scott Calabrese. Well, Coach, uh, welcome back to the uh, Black and Gold Banneret podcast. Uh, another year of uh, is right here around the corner. Yeah, yeah, we're we're already five days into preseason. Um, we uh, and, and we play tonight, so we we've started to pull things together, and we we've started in on our training, and and I think now we're finally uh, we're excited to get an exhibition match under our belt and get going. Preseason polls has you guys ranked 15th in the nation. Is that something that you even address with the team? Uh, what what kind of reaction you had when you heard about that? Well, it, it it's tough because you don't want to take the guys' minds away from what we think is the, the two most important aspects of, of what we do, which is our process in terms of our training and this continuous idea that we want to improve and, and get better um, and, and really focus on that. And then the, the other part is our culture um, and, and creating this idea of uh, who we are, our identity, our standards, our standards of behavior. Um, and, and so it, it comes up, the guys are, the guys are very aware of it. We're aware of it. Um, we hope that we're able to, to continue to play at such a, a good level that that is something that we have to contend with that expectation often. Um, so we, we don't really emphasize it. Uh, it's definitely out there and, and probably put some pressure on them, but, but we don't, we don't address it. So we don't add to any of that pressure. A lot of that is based on last year and the success you had, which is a compliment to what la- what occurred last year. Because when you first took over this program, there there was a you know the, nobody would have thought this would be a possibility at least this quickly. Did you think that the uh, you know right now as you begin your third season that you're at where you thought you would be, or are you maybe even ahead of schedule where you thought you would be? Well, I I, I think um, we we were able to attract a really good staff. Um, and so we were able to get things moving in a, in a, in a proper, in the proper way in a, in a positive way at a high level. And then, and then with that, we attracted a really high level player, um, UCF as an institution, as an athletic department is, is a place that it's, it's a very easy sell. And so I think, um, we, we have players and, and a staff and, and a commitment from the athletic department and, and, you know, all the way from the AD all the way down to the support staff and, and other programs that, that really allow us to move forward this quickly with the program. So uh, I'm, I'm glad that, that we're able to do it that quickly. It, it's always been the goal to be at the top and, and, and to be part of an elite, that elite college soccer uh, group. Um, and so you know, we're we're happy we're we're approaching that. Well, and one of the players that certainly has helped, uh, and certainly when winning the American Conference uh, regular season title last year, making the NCAA tournament and hosting, was Cal Jennings, who had an amazing year last year, twenty goals yeah. and All American. Uh, Herman Watch uh, was a Herman uh, semifinalist, is on the watch list for this year. You've coached him out. What 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 makes him so good? Because it seems like every year he's just gotten better and better. Uh, what what makes him so good? Well, I think for for one, his his personality, his character. He's a very humble kid, um, and if you ever listen to any interviews, he's constantly 
uh, giving credit away to his teammates, to coaches, to the school, and, and it's really genuine. And I think that's a big part of who he is, and, and that really allows him to improve, I think, as well, because he's, he's very, very conscious that, okay, yeah, he is, he is this player that scored 20 goals and, and done really well, but he's constantly working to improve. And he's, and he's, he's not satisfied unless he's, he's working hard in training, um, being a great teammate. And I think that makes a big difference for his evolution. And, and, you know, I would imagine we'll, we'll see Cal continue to improve. How, what do you tell him? He's a senior now, certainly now more people across the sport now knows who he is. So there's a lot of attention, but yet, uh, you know, he's got to help, you know, he can help his team in other ways. He's a senior. I'm assuming he's one of the leaders on the team. You lose 10 seniors from last year's team. So you've got to have some players step up and be leaders, uh, beyond on the sheet. Oh yeah. Cal's a leader for sure. And, and first and foremost, just by the way he carries himself, that, that humble nature, um, and if you've got a guy who is a Mac Herman Trophy candidate, he's, he's on the watch list, he's the all-conference player of the year, and, and, and he's humble, and he's still hungry, and he's a great teammate, he provides this example for, for everybody. And so I think first and foremost, Cal is an amazing example of what the, the, the principles that we're promoting as, as a culture for the culture of our program cal really he he embodies those and i think that's really key is that he he's demonstrating those um those character traits all the time and i think in in that way he's a great leader he is not the only player that was named on the watch list for this season. Uh, one of the other great players, Luis Perez, the junior midfielder, who, of course, had the big goal in the regular season finale last year to win the regular season title against Cincinnati. Uh, maybe under the radar because of the year that Cal has, but he's just as valuable. Talk about him and what you expect from him here in this junior year. Well, Louis is is a creative player he's got great vision his range of passing is uh is very good um very comfortable in the midfield under pressure so we can play louis he can have a man on him he could be under pressure and for a normal player that that would cause that player to lose the ball louis retains possession um and when we get into that final third he's he's technically so gifted and he's creative enough where he finds solutions. Um, he finds ways to create uh, chances and, and issues for for defenders. And, and I think Louis again, he he helps us to be kind of the the, the team we are, this attacking-minded team um, that that goes and tries to win the game and, and score goals. And and uh, you know I think he he's poised to have another. Very good year. He he's come back now from ACL surgery, um, and so he, he's somebody we're probably going to initially be really really cautious with as we bring him kind of in into the season in, in the right way, so that we're making sure that that we're not putting too much on him too early. But we're excited to have Louis back. You lost, as we mentioned, we lost ten seniors from last year's team. Just talk about what that group meant, and then some of the new faces. You bring in ten new faces, and what you expect from some of the new faces, and what fans could expect. Well, I, I think the team that left was 
they, they were fantastic in, in the locker room. And that was a group that had to also welcome me and our staff and, and a different way of doing things. And um, that was a group that, that we didn't recruit. Um, and so they really bought in to this new direction that, that we were going. And uh, without them buying in, without, without their influence in the locker room, their leadership in the locker room, we wouldn't have been able to have the year that we had last year. Um, so we'll, we'll miss that. And now the, the locker room has a little different dynamic with those 10 players gone. Um, and there's this group that's here now that has to pick up some of that leadership role and, and help define the culture. Uh, and, and they're doing that and we're excited about that process. Um, and then the, the young group is, is a good group. It's a good group. And we're excited, uh, about this group. Um, the nice thing for this group, I think, is they don't have this this pressure um, to have to perform and carry this massive load right away, because there are some players, some older players, more established players that can lead the way with regard to that. Um, well, I'm, I'm excited about uh, a lot of those kids. Gino uh, Vivi is a very good Costa Rican player. Um, played with Saprisa. And uh, he's he showed well in preseason. Um, we we've got uh, uh, Vladimir Mendoza, who is joining us as a transfer from the University of New Mexico. Um, he's he's just joining us now, so we're going to look to see how he looks in training and and start to get him integrated into what we're doing. Um, and uh, Jonas Schmalbach is probably. Uh, you know, this is a player who I think can really help us score goals. And uh, we relied a lot on Cal last year. And, and, and we want to make sure that we are getting goals from different sources. And I think, uh, I think getting, getting Jonas to, to help us uh, to score more goals and be a little bit more dangerous in the final third, I, I think that's something that we're, we're looking to see. But we're, we're really early in preseason. Um, so there's there's a lot for us still to to figure out and understand and and we're looking forward to tonight's exhibition match to to learn more about this group. We've talked about this in the past in soccer obviously it's a, it's a not a lengthy period of time because it's a one semester sport's not a a two semester sport like other sports so you don't have as much time as other sports do in getting a team together. So w- knowing that when you have these many new faces do you kind of do you try to simplify things in the process? Is it one of those things where you just know that it's going to take a little while? And how do you kind of go into there with the new people balanced in with the the players on the team and gel as quickly as possible here uh, in the preseason and going into the season? Yeah, it, it's a it's a huge challenge um, because I think you've got two somewhat distinct aspects, right? You you, you have how are we going to gel on the field and is everyone going to figure out, are we going to be able to define roles for people um, and to be cohesive in our play? And, and then you have uh, new people getting to know each other and, and kind of developing that connectedness within your team. Um, very fortunate for us. A lot of the players were here during summer B. So that, that gave them this, period of time where they can organically get to know each other, develop relationships, um, develop that camaraderie and that chemistry early, even without the coaches and, and, and to put some work in on their own. Um, and I think that period has been really, really good for that, that group to, to get integrated, to feel more connected. 
Um, and now there's a real challenge for us. Okay, how, how can we learn about this new group of players and then integrate them quickly? Um, so that, that on the field is that process that we're going through now. And that the reality is, is that we probably won't really be at our best until we've already played three, four games of our regular season. Uh, and, and you pretty much have to live with that every year with that short window that we have in preseason. But, uh, but we feel we've got a good group. And I know one of always the concern when you're blending in players is defensively. And how, how do you feel about your back line going into the season? And, of course, at goal, you return Yannick, who's got a lot of experience. And then uh, what do you have behind him? What's your thoughts on the back line? Because that's always pivotal, as I know you've talked about in the past, to be short up there, especially early in the season as you get to know each other. Well, I, I think we're excited that we return two freshmen from last year, right? So now we've got we've got Giannis Learman, we've got Andreas Hernandez uh, as the two center backs, and uh, we're very fortunate. We've got a red shirt for Johnny Dean, who's our senior captain, as a right back, um, and Yannick behind him. So, so here we're, we're returning uh, we're returning a lot of players that we we know kind of what their level is. How, how they're going to be effective both when we have possession and, and kind of when they're, when they're defending. Uh, the left back spot's open. Uh, we have a young man, Gideon uh, Adu Pepra, who, you know, he, he was here last year. It was his freshman year. Um, so now he's got more experience. He's more settled. Uh, and he'll be in competition on that left back spot. So we, we feel good that we've got a returning group that is the backbone of of that back line. And, um, you know, one of the big things that we do, we hope to do when, when we play is we want to hold possession as much as possible. We want to have the ball as much as possible so that we're spending a lot less time near our goal. We're spending a lot less time defending and spending a lot more time as far away from our goal as possible. Um, and, and that's one way that you don't, you don't, uh, concede goals is you have the ball. We're speaking with head coach Scott Calabrese here on the Black and Gold Banneret podcast. You mentioned the preseason here with the exhibition games, of course, the Eastern Florida State and FIU. And then the regular season starts on August 30th. And, Coach, I've said this. I think I don't think any program, any team, and any sport has a tougher start to the season than you guys at Wake Forest, nationally ranked, at North Carolina, hosting Penn State. You're not ducking people, Coach. I mean, holy smokes. Uh, just tell me about your philosophy and then the, the yeah. non-conference schedule there. <laughs> yeah, we uh we we wanted to know exactly where we were really quick. Um and, and I think we're we're, we're going to find out, but it, I think it also gives us a little bit of urgency. Uh, our group knows exactly who we're playing. Uh and I think that really helps them understand how hard they have to work, how hard they had to work in the summer, how hard they have to work um now in preseason so that they're ready. Uh, but but I think it if if you want to be a top team, uh, which we're, that's what we're aspiring to be, then it's really good to get a measure of what the top of college soccer looks like. And when when we step out there against Wake, we'll know what we're doing wrong quickly because they punish you for that. Uh, we'll know what we're doing right because if it's working against Wake and it's working against UNC and it's working against Penn State. Um, 
then we'll know that we're on the right track. So I, I think one of the things it's going to do is it's going to really help us understand where we are and where we need to improve uh, so that we can have the most successful season possible. I would imagine it, it certainly, as you mentioned, with the current players on the roster, when you they see that schedule and they see Wake Forest in North Carolina, that gets that, their eyes open, that gets their attention right away, and the tone's a little different maybe in the in the preseason conference than if you open with someone else. And I would imagine from a recruiting standpoint, you probably it's a it's an uh, it's something that gets people uh, recruits attention because hey, if they want to play the best, you can come to UCF and play the best teams in the sport. For for sure, for sure, and I, I think our our players are ambitious. And it's it's their desire to play those those teams as well. Um, they 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 want to match up against that group, and I think that's very similar to philosophically when you go across the board in our sports at UCF. Um, we're, we're every program here is aspiring to be a, a top program, and so I think our players really are excited about it. I think you're exactly right. I think from a recruiting standpoint as well, you want to go and you want to be part of a program. That, that wants to play these top teams. So um, for, for me, there's, there's no downside. It, it's only a positive that we're going to match up against this group of teams. And you play in a tough league, uh, SMU. Everybody knows their program, how good it is. You've had battles with them yeah. now the last two years in the conference championship game. Uh, Connecticut's really good. This is their last year in the league. We got South Florida. Just talk about the league as a whole this year in 2019 because there's no gimmies in this league, um, top to bottom. Yeah, it, it's it's a really strong league for soccer. Um, and SMU is – is a big rival of ours now. Last two years, we've we've met them in the finals and um, lost in overtime, and then uh, you know we uh, we lost in penalty kicks, which is a really difficult way to uh, to lose. Um, and and so I think that's a huge rival for us. UConn is is a top team historically. They've they've been a they've won a national championship. They've always gone deep in the NCAA tournament. Uh, but I think the entire league as a whole has gotten better. Um, Temple has improved. USF has improved. And, and we see kind of on a, on a macro scale, we see who these guys are recruiting and, and the job that they're doing. And uh, there is, I think maybe about 15, 20 years ago, there were games that you would play where you could pretty much put a W on the schedule. And I, I can honestly say those games do not exist in college soccer anymore. Wow, that, that speaks to the parity, and to me, I would imagine as coaches in the league, uh, multiple bid league. It's really the the minimum expectations now into the league, right? It's it used to be maybe maybe we're fortunate to get a two bid league, but now I feel like you guys, from as a staff, you feel if you guys do proper thing as a league, multiple bid league is the minimum and can do some damage to come the NCAA tournament time. Yeah, I, I agree with that. I, I think we had three last year. Um, and there's there's no doubt that if if those teams continue to perform at the level they're performing at, we could be a three and uh, and four bid league. Um, and, and there are other teams that are also going out and playing really tough competition. So uh, SMU, USF, UConn, Temple, we're we're all seeking out these these big RPI games uh, because those big RPI games will never hurt you. Uh, but now if we're capable of getting results against these teams and we do go and we get results against these teams, it, it puts us in a, 
in a picture at the end of the season, which is where we want to be, where, where we have a chance for an at-large bid, and, and hopefully we're also pursuing that automatic bid in the conference final. And, and help you host like you did last year where they put you in position to host, and that's the great thing about this Absolutely. league is it can help you host. It won't hurt you. Absolutely, and and you really your your best chance to to move forward in the NCAA tournament is is to get the buy and host because of that that short window. You're playing in a championship on the weekend, and then that turnaround is is very difficult. But if you get a buy and you and you get to play on on that weekend and get a full week's rest, you have a you have a much better shot of getting the result you need in that game, being able to move forward. Last thing before we let you go, as you go through this preseason and even early in the season, what are some of the, if not questions, maybe some of the things you're going to look to see from your team and how they respond, maybe some questions you have about your team and how they respond as the as we get going in the season? Well, I, I, I think um, from a coaching standpoint, we our biggest questions are, you know, who can play in what roles? So, you know, we, we've got to integrate some more guys into our team, so some new players, and, and see how they fit in. So that's that's one of the big things that, that we're looking at right now. Um, and, and we want to get goals from multiple sources. So uh, Cal's, Cal scored 20 goals last year. That's, that's great. But I think we have other players who can chip in, um, maybe have seven, eight goals on the year. And... Uh, and make sure that we aren't just relying on Cal to score goals only, but, but to make sure that we have other, other players who can really chip in on, on that attacking side. Um, and, and I think that'll be, that'll be a key thing for us to look for. That's head coach Scott Calabrese, UCF men's soccer, a regular season home opener, September 6th against Penn State. Of course, they start the regular season on the road against nationally ranked Wake Forest. For all information on UCF men's soccer, check out UCFnights.com and follow them on Twitter as well. Coach, always a pleasure to do this uh, annually here. Good luck uh, here as you get throwing in the preseason and the early in the season. We'll see you throughout the year. All right. You know, thanks for having me on. And thanks again to uh, Coach Calabrese for joining us uh, once again. It's become a tradition, which I enjoy very, uh, very much. And thanks to Ken Landis, Kenny, with uh, helping Kenny. set that up, the uh, media relations over at Men's Soccer. But, uh, boy, Jeff, and I know you've been out there. and You've talked to Coach Calabrese, man. I mean, just exciting what he has done with this men's soccer program to where the expectations are high. They're the favorites, as you mentioned earlier, to win the league. A really good league, ranked in the top 15, and they're going to open it up against nationally powerhouse Wake Forest and North Carolina on the road. He's not ducking people, and it's just pretty amazing the job he's done here as he begins his third season. This is my favorite stat having to do with men's soccer. You ready? Yep. Since their home opener in 2017, Calabrese's first year, remember they had a bunch of home games that got wiped out because of the hurricane and then because of weather problems at other places? Yep. Since their belated home opener in 2017, which was on October the 4th of that year, UCF men's soccer has has won 20 games, lost four, and tied four. They are 24 and four since that time. That and, and in college soccer, that is a hell of a run to win 20 of 28 um, and only drop. Uh, four four results out of out of twenty eight matches. I mean that's uh, it shows you that it's really an incredible hot streak that they're on. And if they can continue to do that, if Cal Jennings can somehow replicate or even improve upon what he did last year, um, 
and they can get a little bit more help as well. Maybe maybe develop a second or third threat for scoring goals. Right. I don't. What Coach Calabrese expects. Yeah. We uh, talked about in the interview. Yeah. Uh, I I I could foresee that that sort of streak um, uh, continuing. And the one thing that I do want to point out, just their style of play and is just so fun to watch. It what we've talked about it last year. They never met a shot they didn't like. And um, it's, well, I'll come out and say it. I think they're the most exciting soccer team in all of Florida, professional, college, otherwise. Just the way they play. Yeah. Yeah. If everyone played the style that they played, there there would be, soccer would be a huge, would be so much bigger in the United States than it is, uh, than it is right now. I'm not saying it's not big. I'm just saying that it's a, it's a style that's just exciting to watch. Well, it helps when you have players like Cal Jennings, who true unbelievable year entering his senior year. We'll see how he duplicates it. Uh, but as Coach Calabrese mentions, he doesn't. He thinks he'll get more scoring from elsewhere and balance a lot. It doesn't have to be all on Cal Jennings, and that's what's going to be exciting. And you know, he's got some different players to play with, and we're going to learn a lot. They're going to play Wake Forest in North Carolina to start the year. Mm-hmm. They got one more exhibition, which is Saturday against FIU. They I mentioned earlier the Eastern Florida State game. They crushed them. Six nothing. I think Cal Jennings had like a hat trick right away. It's like okay, yeah. Let's pick up where we left off. And I'll tell you another coach that doesn't mind having a home field advantage like you just described is Tiffany Roberts of Haydeck. As their season gets underway Thursday against Ohio State or uh, Wisconsin, excuse me. Then Ohio State. They open up with two Big Ten teams. Uh, Wisconsin on Thursday night. Ohio State next week. Wisconsin, Jeffrey, one of the contenders to win the Big Ten title uh, this year. So not an easy game at all. To start off, what is it about these soccer coaches, Jeff? They don't really, they don't open with gimmies. <laughs> I know, I know. Well, it's amazing what your reputation will do. Uh, these, uh, these, you know, power conference schools realize that actually it behooves them to play UCF because UCF is good competition. What a concept, right? <laughs> anyway. Well, yeah, it is what it is. You're right. Uh, let's take a quick break. When we get back, another preseason preview for you. I sit down with head coach Todd Dagenet of UCF Volleyball, another team coming off of a conference title um a record-breaking year for UCF volleyball and they return most of the team basically they only lose one senior from last year Jordan Pingle obviously a tremendous senior that they did lose but um who will be stepping up in her place and what will this team look like in 2019 the first year of the uh, conference tournament we talk about that and lots of other things with coach Dagenet after this it's the black and gold banneret podcast Welcome back to the Black and Gold Banneret Podcast. Jeff Sharon, Eric Lopez with you here. Brian will be back in a little bit, but uh, we're continuing our preseason previews here. We just heard from Scott Calabrese, UCF men's soccer. Uh, we heard from Tiffany Roberts, Haydack, UCF women's soccer last week. And uh, in this segment, we're going to hear from Todd Dagenet from UCF uh, Volleyball. Of course, last year, what a season for the Knights. They finished undefeated in conference, a perfect 18-0. and they get to the NCAA tournament. They win uh, the conference outright with a record of 27-4. and They were 15-1 and at home, hosted the NCAA volleyball tournament for the first time in the NCAA era um, at UCF, and uh, but came up short in five sets to what was a very good Florida Gulf Coast team that they were playing for the third time um, that season. Um, and uh, it, it was... a uh, and. Uh, obviously, they lost Aaron Olsen for that match, which was a huge bummer. Um, their captain, the top, uh, one of their captains, their setter, um, 
and uh, and, and but there's so if there's any way that Eric Lopez that there was a team that had a could have a chip on their shoulder after winning you know 20 27 of 31 games last year um it's UCF volleyball and uh, I think that's certainly the case here so um we're gonna break this down in just a second but first um here we go this is my interview with UCF head volleyball coach Todd Dashner the man the myth the legend once again uh, entering what year is this now, Todd? I don't know. Year number I'll, 12? Yeah, 11? No, I think it's 11. 11? I've lost track, man. Like, anyway, Todd Dagenet, head coach of UCF Volleyball, joining us here on the Black and Gold Banner podcast to preview his team season coming off of, uh, well, I mean, what a year last year. And remember when we were sitting here last year at this time, you we were like, ah, oh, you know, if the young players, we have only one senior, if the young players work out, I think we'll be all right. I think it's like that every year. You know, you 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 start with a uh, a mix of ingredients like a chef, yeah. and you think if the ingredients can mix themselves right and the chef can find the right temperature and stir it at just the right times, you might actually make a pretty good dinner. Um, but any one thing goes wrong at any time, and all of a sudden all the ingredients fall apart, and you end up with something that ends up in the garbage and. That's why I think every coach is always carefully optimistic, even when they have all the components. I've seen a lot of teams with all the components, and it just didn't come together. And so, sure, I, last year I was—I knew it was there. I knew it was there. Um, we've had a couple times where it's been there, and sometimes it's worked out, sometimes it hasn't. Hmm. But there was a whole bunch of ifs heading into the season, and then one thing after another, the ifs started going away, and it was— you know, things were actually taking place. Yeah. The ball just started rolling. When did you realize, just thinking back one more question on last year, when did you realize that, that, oh man, this group is really something? Like, what was the match? Was I, you like, know, I wow. think, the, I think the honest time, if you ask me the first time I thought that they had the ability to be good, we were in Puerto Rico playing the national team. Yeah. And there were three Olympians on the other side of the net. And we were handling that team pretty good. Hmm. Um, we were withstanding everything that they were bringing at us, and we were scoring, and we were winning sets and taking matches. And I remember leaning next to the assistants and just saying, hey, we, we might be pretty good. Um, no coach ever really wants to say it that early, but... Hey, you worried about jinxing yourself? Yeah, <laughs> you are. You know, We might be pretty good. After that, the time that I knew... We we had it not only within us but ingrained with us was when we played Cincinnati up at their place. The first one, sure. Yeah, I mean, to go in and play. Yeah, they were seriously underranked all year long. To go in and play a top seventeen, eighteen team on their court, um, part of the most brutal road trip in the conference when you have to go from East Carolina all the way up to Cincinnati. Um. And then to go in there and beat a team that's led by an Olympian. Jordan Thompson's going to be an Olympian. I've been saying it for years, and people think I'm crazy, and I'm telling you, Jordan Thompson's going to be an Olympian. Uh, And now, sure enough, she goes off with Team USA this year and is their leading point scorer, and they qualify for the Olympics. Right. So to go up into Cincinnati and find a way to beat them on their court – 
showed all of the intangibles that we needed to have to be a pretty good team. We had the talent, but did we have the intangibles? Did we have the heart, the drive, the desire, the perseverance, all the all those things you have to have with luck yeah. added to it. And then the ability to perform in that exact moment. And and we did. And we did it all year long. Part of the reason a big part of the reason that you guys had that those intangibles was your lone senior last year in Jordan Pingle. She moves on. Stepping in for her is a senior transfer, Mackenzie Cookmaner. So tell me about what you're going to miss from Jordan and then how you're going to fill that hole, not just with Mackenzie, but whoever else might be coming in. Well, you know, we recruited Jordan knowing that she had the ability to be one of the best, if not the best ever, to wear that jersey here. We knew I that she would set records. We knew that she would set <laughs> records, but we also knew that she had a lot of growth and development, and she bought into that growth and development, and had just enough fire and spice to keep us on our toes. But she was also a good student, and she wanted to learn and she wanted to get better. And then she developed into a fantastic leader, a very emotional leader, um, a very galvanizing leader, mm. and. There is no doubt that all of those things are what held us together and helped us win many 25, 23 matches, 28, 26 games. That Cincinnati um, match was a good example Cincinnati of that. Actually, both of them, come I mean, to think of it. She, she's, she was really a special addition um, to this program and the absolute catalyst to the team last year that kept everything together for us to make a sustained run throughout the season. Yeah. So how do you replace that? I don't know. You know, we've never had to replace that. Um, I think, you know, you look inside your ranks and you look at um, McKenna Melville who is just as competitive, even if not more, um, very much a student of the game. You look at um, Christina Hmm. um, and Tina Fisher, you know, she wants to go out there and and she, this is going to be her last year before she goes off to medical school and she wants to go out with a bang and I think she's going to provide a galvanizing leadership in the locker room. And then you look at Erin Olson now with a few years under her belt here, um, a bit of a sour taste in her mouth about how the end, the year ended last year. Um, right. You know, to, to go out with a non-volleyball-related injury, and um, that's a, it's a tough pill to swallow. And that leaves a lot of resentment yeah. for a long period of time. And she is back, and she's ready to go. Um, so I think it's going to be a combination of new factors. It's it's just a whole bunch of new ingredients that you, you go and, and you try to fill that void that Jordan left. Um, it's allowing some other voices to now be heard that maybe, you know, just kind of took a backseat to Jordan. But now these voices are going to be heard. And uh, they're going to have their opportunity to lead this group into. Uh, a, a brand new challenge, an even tougher challenge than before. Yeah, on the offensive side, you know, you you mentioned McKenna Melville and last year, you know, her being just filling up the trophy case last year for the team, and what a find she was. Because 
I still remember the story about when you guys recruited her, she was going to be Jordan's replacement initially at Libero, and then all of a sudden she grew and became an outside hitter, and then becomes the second best probably outside hitter in the conference behind Jordan Thompson, who is an Olympian, like you said. So mm-hmm. uh, she had some experience with Team USA this year at the college with the collegiate national team. Um, as did uh, Anne-Marie Watson actually trying out for that team as well. So on the offensive side, what more are you looking for from those players to try and keep things pumping from last year? And I year? think the offensive side absolutely starts with how well we handle the ball. Mm. Our ability to handle the ball, be in system as much as possible, having the options that we need. I don't want McKenna, I don't want Anne-Marie, I don't want them taking any more swings and having any more kills than what they had in the past, Christina. I want our middles to become more of a focal point of our offense. I want a strong distribution between the middles and the right sides. I don't want the left sides to have to bail us out as much as they have in the past, even though they're capable of doing it. I don't want to be one of these teams that depends on one or two players every single night to go out and win 25 matches. I want teams to have to prepare for five or six hitters and figure out how they're going to match up against them. Um, Offensively, I think think our strength actually lies in our diversity way more so than it does in our outside hitters who are both all-American level. And if you include Anne-Marie into that, um, that, there's three all-American caliber outside hitters that I really don't want to have to depend on. I really want to be able to utilize our full offense. We have the tools to do it. We have the athleticism. Um, I think we have three middles right now who are doing outstanding work. Hmm. Um, Catherine Westlich learned by fire last year and ended up with a a wonderful hitting percentage, one of the top blockers in the nation. Uh, Nurse Mrovic, same idea, high hitting percentage, one of the top blockers in the nation. And Lachey is finally getting healthier and healthier and she's down there and she's tearing it up right now. So we may actually be in a situation where we're lucky enough to be able to shift and move some players around and not have to burn anybody out and allow three middles to go out there and do their thing. Better ball control we have, and the better we are in the middle, the better the outsides are going to be, and the better our offense is going to be. The uh, schedule. Remember last year we talked about how you know you you said you were sick and tired of how the RPI was just nabbing you guys at the very at right at the tape every year. So you scheduled up, and man, did it work! Um, the the victory over SC, the matchup at up against Florida, which really could have gone either way, and then a, you guys were off and running. This year, you've got you're going out to Ole Miss, you're getting uh, Kansas and South Carolina coming here. You got some other uh, schools that are, like Illinois is you're going to Illinois State and playing Illinois and Marquette, and then the Sunshine State Classic comes here finally at long last with Miami. So, um. Do you foresee the same challenges as last year with the schedule? Are things going to look a little different with that? I'm, you know, I'm I'm still sick and tired of seeing what I see in the college sports landscape of 
you know, this whole scheduling debacle, you don't schedule tough enough. Well, yeah, some of us don't wake up on third base with 10 high RPI matches just because we are affiliated with them. Right. And so we have to go out and we have to find a way to do it. And it's, it, you see it in other sports and it's just, I just can't believe that amateur sports is based on that. How would you um, fix it? How would you fix it? If you were in charge, you know, I would have to sit and I'd think about that because I am so consumed with my sport. Yeah. I mean, how I fixed it, I went out and I scheduled 12 non conference matches. Six of them are receiving votes or in the top 25, and the other six are in the top 50 in the country. Um, if it's not the toughest schedule in the country, it's got to be one of the top five. Uh, I mean, non conference, obviously, conference schedules are different. Um, it's got to be one of the top five non-conference schedules in the country. I, I can't imagine somebody scheduling tougher than we did. But we're going to leave no doubt. Now we have to go out there and we have to win those matches, but we're going to leave no doubt that we played a tough schedule mm. outside the conference. And then hopefully the conference rises again and you know it floats all of us and we get a, you know, a team or two teams into that top 15 area where we're, where we're in the process of hosting the conference has the talent yeah but unfortunately the way the landscape is you have to go out there and not only do you have to prove it you have to prove it beyond that all shadows of a doubt yeah that you belong and then they'll give you your crumb and okay well if that's the game that's what we're gonna play we'll go we'll go play their game and that's what we'll have to do now back to your question about you know how would i do scheduling you know th- these rules about well you're in this spot so you can only have you can only request two for ones but then you go and you do these two for ones and I, I was at these schools okay right. you, you were you, at it you, so you, you're you, at Michigan State yeah you, you request the two for ones and then they go and they say okay but the one that we're coming to you is going to be at a neutral site or we're going to buy you out of it yeah. you know so really it's a two for zero and I don't think fans understand that and it's so it, hard in these sports too and in, in everything outside yeah, of football I mean, uh, fortunately in volleyball it's not that, that way right. you know we got Kansas to come in we got South Carolina to come in Miami's coming in because of the sunshine deal but you know we're gonna go and we have to return to them in the next couple years so it's a one-for-one that's the way it works and I think as far as I know basketball volleyball soccer you know I think some of the sports get it but I, I just I don't understand how with a straight face people can say you have to schedule two for ones and put yourself at a huge disadvantage yeah and then in the in the one that you actually get, you're not going to get the play at home anyway, <laughs> you know. And then even then, even if we wanted to schedule two for ones, teams won't play us. Yeah, they don't want to. And so I just think it's ridiculous. Yeah. Now, what would I do? I, I think there I would I think there has to be some sort of a commission on scheduling, and I think for for you to make the NCAA football playoff. You've had to play so many top-ranked teams on the road, um, out of conference, or at least schedule them. Right. Um, you've had you have to make a concerted effort to toughen your schedule to get rid of the one double A's and start scheduling some of these power six, power seven teams, mm-hmm. home and away, 
And you get through that schedule, then you get to go to the Invitational at the end of the year. But until then, all you have to do is just nitpick teams that you absolutely can dominate. Right. And then claim your ticket to the end of the year playoff. It's crazy. That, and that, at some, there has to be a, a, some sort of a commission on scheduling. But with that being said, I think we've got the best athletic director in the country. I think that he would have a much better idea on how to solve that problem. And I think he's going to make you know, the right waves out there to eventually get that to turn in the right direction. But it's it's absolutely maddening that some sports can't play in the postseason for reasons that are absolutely beyond their control mm. and for reasons that they're frozen out from being able to accomplish to be able to be in control. Right. It's maddening. I, I just don't get it. <laughs> I got to ask you about um, the conference slate because the whole – conference uh schedule is being flipped on itself this year because now you have it's shortened by two games and there is a tournament now and we've talked about before about how much i know you don't like postseason conference tournaments and volleyball you are hosting this year as the champion from last year which is good uh it's a it's a 16 tournament is that right 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 so the top two get get the buys and the leagues being split into divisions i'm not going to ask you what you think i think i know what you think (laughs) but how does it or or does it change anything about how you plan for conference season no i think you, you still play the matches that are in front of you um you know it's tough to go out there and schedule 32 matches a year mm it's a lot easier when you're automatically scheduling 20 in your conference. Now you just have to go out and get 12. But then you cut that 20 down to 16, and now you have to schedule 16 non-conference matches. It's practically impossible to schedule 12. And so where we thought this was a good idea as a coaching and administration conglomerate I just don't get it. Because I know you're not alone in thinking that this is not good. I'm not alone, but I'm in a minority now. And I think... What changed? I I think that the makeup of the conference changed. I think we had a large influx of new coaches that maybe um, hadn't seen the pluses and minuses of certain formats. Um, I think that there's been a large influx of new sports supervisors mm-hmm. that hasn't seen the pluses and minuses. Um, I, I think overall we just lost experience. And, um, you know, I, 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 I am not a fan of the tournament. I never have been. Even if we were to go out and host and be fortunate enough to win it, I'm still not a fan of the tournament. And I think last year proves exactly why. Because we get into the NCAA tournament, we are rolling, everything is going great, we have a non-volleyball injury mm-hmm. to our quarterback, yeah. our setter, um, that, that keeps her out, and we are instantly at a disadvantage heading into the NCAA tournament. Now, that's a peril of the NCAA tournament. You know, sometimes something happens in the last couple weeks and you go into the NCAA tournament um, less than what you were during the regular season. 
but you're in the NCAA tournament. Right. To have an entire conference season determined in one weekend when something like that can happen mm-hmm. and in, that ends your season, you don't even get the chance to go to the NCAA tournament. That's where I think the short-sightedness is. And that's why I've never been a fan of the tournament because you play for three and a half months all to play for one weekend. Mm-hmm. Well, what happens in that one weekend if three of your players get food poisoning somewhere? Your whole season is over. And yeah, we had it happen and it affected our NCAA tournament, but what, what, what if that would have happened in, the, in a conference tournament? Right. To any team, not just us, to any team. What, Wichita State went undefeated. Louisville went undefeated. SMU went undefeated. What happened? What happened if one of them had some sort of heaven forbid injury that kept their player out for that weekend right. of the conference championship? And, and they, they lose. They five. lose in the first yeah. round. Yeah. And the NCAA tournament committee, who already says, all right, we're going to fill it with these six teams, these eight teams. These... Okay, now let's look at the other conferences. Yeah. Oh, well, shoot, they lost in the first round. They don't deserve to be in. And they don't even bother looking at win-loss record. Look, or... And they don't look why yeah. you lost in the first round. I mean, so that's the part that I think people don't quite understand. Um, to be honest, I'm tired of fighting the battle because it's an uphill battle. And so I'm I'm at the point now and you know my colleagues in arms which is SMU <laughs> and Cincinnati keep you know trying to beat me on the head and get me back in the fray but I just said you know I I I can't stop a movement it's a movement I don't agree with they do they feel like they have their movement for just reasons and there's enough of them and there's not enough of us so I, I can't stop it so give me the 16 teams I need to play mm-hmm. give me the tournament I need to win and let's just go out and see what happens and that's where I, we are right now I feel like the format though that they chose for the tournament was a little bit of a nod to you guys because they give the top two teams the bye that's the well that was something and it took us almost four months to arrive at that because <laughs> it wasn't going to be that way but it was, was it going to be eight and just no it was never going to be eight because you uh, for eight we would have to add it would have to be over three days yeah and and we and so that brought thanksgiving into play mm-hmm. and they were trying to keep thanksgiving out of play and and the tournament is the weekend and, and now they moved it before so. thanksgiving so I, um i think the entire goal was to try to keep the teams that are in the tournament teams that are basically top 100 rpi or better mm-hmm. And history has shown once you get to seven and eight, you're getting down to 150, 160, right, or higher. And so and I think that's everybody. the that, and that yeah, you can't play it. You don't want to play a match like that because you play that match, and even if you win, your RPI goes down. So for that team, you know, say last year it's Tulane, the third team in the conference, who's you know sitting right in the low 40s, right on the bubble. All of a sudden, they have to play a 160 team. Now they go to the high 40s. They won. But they're out of the NCAA tournament. Right. So I, I think six is probably the best compromise. I wanted four. Um, I think four of the 12 teams, one third of the teams getting the reward of going to the tournament is plenty. Mm. Um, everybody wanted half, some wanted more, some wanted all. 
And I, I think, again, <laughs> I, think, I think what we have is we just have a group of people um, who are getting more of a voice, which is fine. Everybody's a lot of voice. Um, but we're getting a group of people with a voice that say, well, if we don't do well in the regular season, we want a second chance so we can motivate our players. And, and it's, it's the lightning in a the bottle theory. You know, I, 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 how about trying to be good over three months? Be mm. good over three months and be rewarded for that. Don't, don't try to wait and depend on being good over one weekend. Well, sometimes teams get better as the year goes on. Yes. Well, then go off and knock somebody off and get yourself that opportunity to be on the board on Selection Sunday. Um, I, I see more harm of it coming than good, and I hope I'm wrong. At the very least, if all goes well, you'll have to play only two matches on your home floor. And yeah, it'll be against top 100s, but you know what? That boosts the RPI too. So that's that's the that's the silver lining, I right. guess, right? Right. So. I, I think that is the silver lining. And as you know, a bunch of us sat down and talked. Um, those of us that have been in those positions, we say, well, at least we're getting this. We may have to play somebody a third time, but at least there's RPIs that are going up. Yeah. But again, I still think the negative overall outweighs the overall positive. But with that being said. You know what? Give us a schedule. Give us a tournament. We don't care. We'll go. We'll play. We're going to do the best we can to represent our university. We're going to do the best we can to exhibit the skills that we've been taught, and we're going to let the results happen the way they happen. And the results are going to start pretty soon. You guys have one exhibition match in Gainesville against the Gators on Saturday, August 24th, and then the regular season starts a week later. You guys are traveling to Ole Miss for three the home opener is the UCF Challenge. It starts Friday, September 6th at 7.30 against South Carolina. Albany and Kansas are also coming to town there, and the conference season starts uh, on Friday, September 27th. Don't forget the Sunshine State Classic also coming here to the venue September 20th and 21st. Florida Gulf Coast, Miami, and Florida Atlantic. Really good competition in-state. I hope you guys continue that, by the way. I love yeah, you know, I, I think it's something that we'll revisit at the end of next year when it's at FAU mm -hmm. to finalize the four-year plan. Uh, the positives of that is I told you how hard it is to schedule those matches. At least we know we got three scheduled every year no matter what. Right. The negative is um, you're only hosting once out of every four years. You'd like you'd like to host more than that. Um but the positive outweighs the negative in that situation, yeah. and I would really like to see something like that started. I wouldn't mind getting something like that going with us, Miami, Florida, Florida State. I think that would be a great four-year rotational thing. You hear that, Miami, Florida, and Florida State? I hope you do. <laughs> Head yeah. Coach Todd Dagenet from UCF Volleyball, thanks again. And you're how many wins now behind Lucy McDaniel? It doesn't matter. It's my job to no, keep track I, of that. I don't I know. know. Listen, Lu Lucy is an institution here. You know, she had players like Laura. And, I mean, I mean the, the amount of really important people, uh, athletes, coaches that have come through our program – 
things like that, numbers like that, I don't even know. I don't even care. It, it doesn't I, matter to me. I know. I did the I did the math. It's twenty two. Yeah, twenty two. Well within reach. And I'm gonna. I'm not. I, this is the last time I'm gonna talk about it. And I'm not gonna remind you about it until I'm screaming it into a microphone at some point. But thanks again, Todd. It's always good to talk to you. And I will see you for the home opener, bro. Sounds great. Thanks again. I appreciate it. Thanks again to Todd for uh, spending some time with me, as we always do every year. It's one of our favorite traditions. And by the way, uh, what what he was mentioning, what I wanted to mention too, was a belated congratulations to Todd on his uh, on his election, Eric Lopez, to the Michigan Upper Peninsula Sports Hall of Fame. Um, Todd is from um, the upper. The, he's from the UP, and he told me he got the call a few weeks ago that uh, you know, hey, is this Todd Dagenet? He says, yeah. He says, and the guy on the online says, "Hey, you know, I'm so and so from the uh, from the UP Sports Hall of Fame. Congratulations, you've been elected in the into our 2020 class." And he was like, "Really?" He's like, "Yeah." <laughs> so I, I know Todd's a proud Michigander, um, and he's and he was kind of you know he's a, he's kind of embarrassed by it, but Todd has no reason to be embarrassed by it because uh, as you and I both know, this. This might be the first Hall of Fame that Todd Dagenet has been elected to, but it won't be his last, I feel like. Yeah, I agree with that. I mean, obviously, the great things here since his arrival at UCF capped off with that last year, unbelievable year winning the conference and uh, getting to host for the first time in program history. And uh, yet, Jeffrey, my question to you, mm-hmm. they lose one player, which you guys addressed, obviously, Jordan Pingle. But only lose Pingle, great player, going to be a future Hall and, of Famer. And Brianna Garcia, I should mention, who played last year. But Brianna Garcia sure. actually, Brianna actually transferred to. They didn't have her in the spring. They knew her, they they were losing her right after the season because she's uh, also a remarkable track athlete. I think she's a, a she's a um, she was a, a state class hurdler at, in uh, at, in Texas, and so she transferred to Baylor um, to run uh, to run track. Which yeah, congratulations to. To, to Bree, I hope she does well. But yeah, you're right. Basically, that you know, despite the playing time that she loses, really Jordan Pingle's the big loss here. And yet, in the preseason AVCA uh, poll, the uh, volleyball poll, the national volleyball poll, UCF not ranked. Now they are receiving votes, uh, which normally they don't do. But were you uh, surprised? I mean, was there any feedback on that as far as not being ranked, even though they? return everybody there because we always make a big hoopla about football and where they're ranked and disrespect and all that and and brands and all that but i feel like we're kind of in the same boat in volleyball in that certain brands get the benefit of the doubt and ucf still not that at level at least to some of the national volleyball people well i'm not surprised by it because uh you know it, it is another one of those situations where it's kind of like football coming into last season where it's like okay uh prove it again you know um, you know, you, you had that one great year, but are you really going to go twenty-seven and four again this year? Let's find out. And actually, you know, I think that this team is certainly talented enough to do that. I, I, I was, I was really, um, you know, I think that the addition of uh, the redshirt senior Mackenzie Cookmaner from uh, NC State to step into that libero defensive specialist job that you know to kind of fill the hole left by uh, Jordan Pingle is going to be big. This team does have a number of experienced seniors this year, um, which I think is going to serve them well. Aaron Olson's a senior. Allie Sable's a senior. Um, uh, Christina Fisher is a senior. And then, of course, you have Cook Manor. Um, 
that it, this is going to be a good. I feel like this is going to be a really good next couple year run for um, UCF in particular with the experience that they have. Um, and I thought it was interesting. You probably heard in the interview, Eric, that you know uh, that Todd wants to work on uh, work on getting the middles a lot more involved this year. And I think you know he's very. I think that's right on the money. You know, UCF did spend a lot of time feeding their outsides. Um, last year and and not because there's anything wrong with the middles it's just that's how the offense sort of formulated itself in the course of the players developing over the course of the season but now um i think his middles have developed to a point where you know players like Catherine um westlich and um and narissa moravic lachey harper is going to get a little bit a little bit more run here she's a junior um we're going to see a little bit more attacking in the middle from uh, UCF, and I'm really excited to see what uh, some of the freshmen bring to the table, particularly um, Megan Lively, who's a 6'3 middle herself, um, who I think is going to be a, a really, really fun player to watch uh, if she gets the opportunity. And the and the Chambers sisters, Morgan and Mackenzie from uh, Cedar Hills out in Dallas, Texas, um, joining UCF as well. So, um, boy, their recruiting has just been on point, um, and uh, and. And to see, you know, players like McKenna Melville in particular, you know, take on that leadership role, even though she's just a sophomore, um, man, there's just, it's just, uh, it's an embarrassment of riches right now for Todd and, and his coaching staff. And I think he's got to be excited to sort of get, you know, get this, this schedule going and, and, and see what he's got from these players. And then once you get to conference play, you know, it's going to be real interesting with fewer conference matches, but you got the tournament at the end. Um, and UCF will be hosting, so hopefully they'll be able to not just not just host, but win and uh, and get them. And that'll actually help their RPI. You know, we talked about that in the interview, kind of the double-edged sword of conference tournaments. And um, you know, we'll see. We'll see what happens. So um, this should be a good year for uh, UCF volleyball. They start out um, on the road. Well, they got an exhibition match at Florida on August 24th. They start out at it at the Ole Miss tournament up there against Iowa State, Rice, and Ole Miss. And they start at home on Friday, September 6th with South Carolina, Albany, and Kansas. So really good slate at home. And then they've also got Florida Gulf Coast, Miami, FAU coming home, uh, coming here as well in the non-conference and uh, road matches against Marquette, Illinois, Illinois State. So um, Todd stacked the schedule once again this year. I think he's 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 doing the Tiffany Roberts to Haydack uh, scheduling <laughs> strategy of just you know just, just go nuts why not and um, and we'll see if it works out so should be fun I mean uh, can't wait to see them in, uh, open up against South Carolina in September there and uh, you know the host a conference tournament uh, yeah that's going to be significant I, did that UCF ever host when they were in the A Sun you last you time. Were yeah, last time UCF hosted a conference tournament was in 2004 when they were. Uh, That's right. When they, or excuse me, 2003 when they were in the uh, A Sun at that time, and uh, and that was that was Jenny Frank, Jenny and Frank, uh, why, yeah. yeah, and and Tanya Jarvis who uh, we've talked to before, and uh, and some of those great players from the from those teams that uh, um, Emily Watts, for example. Um, you know who uh, now the, the now Emily Lambert, who um, you know some of those teams had some really good runs back there, but it's been a long time since UCF has hosted a conference tournament in volleyball, and they're going to do it this year. So uh, it should be a very good year for Todd Dagenet 
and volleyball as well. All right, stick around. Come back. Got one more interview for you. Dylan Moore joins us from. Uh, Wait, Merv gets to do an interview too. That's right. We uh, we're all. Oh. It's a hat trick wow. of interviews here. Um, Murph sits down with Dylan Moore, formerly of UCF Baseball, now at the Seattle Mariners, uh, as they made the road trip over to uh, St. Pete to play the Rays, and uh, we hear from him and wrap the show up in just a moment. Stick around. The Black and Gold Banneret Podcast is back after this. All right, welcome back to this marathon Black and Gold Banneret Podcast. So much UCF content for you this summer. It's like we never even. It's like we never even had an off season. Uh, and uh, speaking of off seasons, well, we get to we get the chance to catch up with some alumni, and uh, and Brian Murphy, you uh, are actually in St. Pete right now, having just spoken with uh, another UCF alum who's in the majors right now with the Seattle Mariners, Dylan Moore. That's right, Jeffrey. There's a reason why I'm calling you from inside my car outside of Buffalo Wild Wings in <laughs> Newport Ritchie, Florida. That's because earlier today it's I not was because in of the food. <laughs> Oh, it's it's great. It's it's Buffalo Wild Wings ish. Um, that's why I, it was uh, because I was at the, the Trop earlier this morning, uh, talking to Dylan Moore, who right now is the only UCF alum on any active forty man roster in Major League Baseball. Uh, Eric Skoglin was on a roster until last week. He's been sent down. Uh, we, we we mentioned him in the in the in the uh, in the uh, interview, and also Jason Bradford is currently on the sixty day sixty day DL. He's a teammate of Moore, and he and Moore are the only two alums who are even in, even on a pro, even on a MLB team right now. Moore's the only one on an active roster. So I asked Dylan about his time at UCF, what his first season has been like in the pros, a little bit about some rivalries with some of his teammates because Austin Adams is a USF uh, fan, and uh, it's not in it's not in the audio. So unfortunately, we missed this. But I will say, as we as we go to the interview. It was fantastic to hear Dylan interact with Daniel Vogelbach, a power hitter for the Mariners, but also out of high school, committed to Florida before getting taken in the draft as a high schooler. When we, when I ended my interview with Dylan, uh, Vogelbach had just gotten to his locker room next to Moore, and Dylan turned to him, and because because uh, Vogelbach's a big Gators fan, Moore says to Vogelbach, schedule a home and home. <laughs> and I thought that was cool. I thought that was great. Nice. So anyway, here's my interview today from Tropicana Field with UCF alum and Seattle Mariners utility man Dylan Moore. Just describe your first season making it to, to the big leagues and, and what it's been like for you. Oh, it's been awesome. It's been everything I can I can dream of. You know, it's um, it's one of those things you work for for a long time, but yeah. to get here, it's um it's awesome. And you know, this team this team's been awesome. But a bunch of great guys and my first taste of. Um, Major League Baseball has been nothing short of amazing. Tell me back. Can you, can you take me back to the day you got you got the news out of spring training that you had made the active roster. What was that meeting like? Um, did you know that was coming? What was the day? I like? just uh, yeah, I was in his office and he said he made the team, man. And I was just it was kind of a surreal moment for me. You know, I was almost out of body, something like that. Um, I immediately thought of Japan because we were going to Japan. It wasn't just like a regular spring training. Like we were leaving early because we were going to go to Japan. I was going to make my de- major league debut in Japan. And I, you know, if you would have told me that five years ago, I never would have thought that that would have happened. So it was one of those things where I immediately thought of like, well, we're going to Japan and like all the stuff I had to do for that. So, um, but it, it was awesome. It was, you know, it was really cool. It was all the hard work put in. First person, first person you called? I called, uh, I called my wife at, uh, at the at the hotel, we're staying at the hotel in, in spring training, and, um, and then I called my, my mom and my dad and everybody, and 
it's it it good it's a good time how was it to start your career in japan against the Hazen? it was different it was definitely different <laughs> um playing those two games those exhibition games against the the giants the mm-hmm. Tokyo giants and then um, those two first two games and the whole experience and everything it was my first time in japan and then it was, it was so much fun it was really it was a good time when you got up here, did you believe right away? Did you have any starstruck moment, or were you? Did you have any like, uh, no, I belong here. I'm not going to be starstruck. Oh at no, all. definitely. I had some star, starstruck moments. I mean, to see the guys that I've watched, yeah, and 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 wanted to be like my my whole life. I think that to see them in person, to see how good they actually are, you know, stuff like that, and the speed of the game. And so I, it was really, it was it was cool, like, to see that. I'm getting a little more comfortable now as, as I get more games under my belt, but, you know, it's still cool to see, like, these are the best best players in the world in the, in the game, and, you know, you're just trying to strive to be like them. Do you remember, like, the first Star Trek moment? Like, is it like, when you're seeing a certain uh, player? And... Yeah, I grew up watching the Angels a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, to see Mike Trout and Pujols and... and Guys like that, and, and the, the, the really star players of each team play, yeah. come together as a team. It's, it's pretty cool. Um, because you, you know, you were in the minor leagues for five years. Now that you're here, uh, and you know what that experience like is like in the minor leagues, you know, like I gotta do whatever I can to stay up here. I mean, that must be oh, like yeah. the everyday, the everyday grind. Yeah, of like, yeah, yeah, for sure. You know, sure. I gotta, you gotta take, you gotta take advantage of every opportunity you get, and you know, you definitely wanna stay up here. There's no, you know, you don't wanna go down and. To be able to do that, you got to show them how you can handle situations. And you can play your best no matter when you're called upon. And you're kind of a jack of all trades mm-hmm. with this team. Yeah, just trying to get my value, and I don't want them to be worried about it when they put me in any any position in the field. And um, you know, it's just one of those things where you get up up your value if you get played defensively at all positions. So you talk about being an Angels fan. You grew up. So, what do you? What city you represent? Is it, New, is it Newport Beach? Do you represent Yorba Linda? It's it's Yorba Linda. Okay, yeah. you I was represent born in Newport Linda. Beach. I grew up in, in North Orange County in Yorba Linda. Mm-hmm. Um, we live in Orlando now, and um, yeah, yeah, so kind of back and forth. But um, so how yeah, does, watching the Angels my whole childhood. So how does a kid like you? I, you did have a little bit of a Cypress College pipeline with you and, and Sam Tollison. But how do you get from? Southern California to UCF. What convinced you to go to UCF? It was one of my only D1 offers out of out of Cyprus. Mm. Um, I remember them coming out for. They came out and they saw me, and uh, I took a visit there. And it was a football game night. It was really cool. It's one. It's the second biggest public school in the nation. This is behind Michigan. So, I mean, state school, and um, it was awesome. I, I fell in love with it right away, fell in love with the coaches, and, and, um, and, and kind of like the, you know, the state and the, the, everything that came with it. It was an easy choice for me. When you think about your career, your two years there, what, what, what sort of moments uh, or what jump out to you? Maybe there's a story that jumps out to you about your two years there. What, when you look back at your UCF career, what, is, what encapsulates that? Oh, it's just the work. I mean, we did so much work. Kevin Schnell was our hitting coach. I mean, one of the best offices in the nation. The first half of my senior year, and everybody was hitting. And it was just a product of just everyone grinding and everyone working on, on hitting on and countless hours in that cage that I still go back to in the offseason sometimes. And it's just it was so much fun. And the guys came together as a team. And, um, yeah, just I, just the hard work in the cage and, and you know opening night jitters and stuff like that and playing in front of my first you know big ish crowd <laughs> it was pretty cool. And, you know the games at Florida, the games at Florida State, stuff like 
Yeah, it was awesome as well. You had a home run against Florida, I think. When yeah, yeah, Tuesday night. We usually do a, we did a home at home, and I think we went there, and I, I did hit a home run there. Was that a big moment for you? That was fun, yeah. No, it was definitely it was definitely cool. I mean, like it's, uh, against some of those guys. Talk about, you talked about, uh, you mentioned Skoglin. Uh, do you keep in touch with him, you know, or do you keep in touch with any guys from, uh, obviously a lot of guys from your two years there? Yeah, a couple guys come out and see me you know, when I was here and mm-hmm. try to get, stay in touch with those guys. You know, we're trying to get an alumni game going on here with, mm. uh, with you know, we have, we're getting more and more guys in the big leagues um, from UCF. And I know there's a lot of Florida guys. There's got a lot of guys that went there still, you know, call Florida their home. So we'll see. We're trying to keep in touch with them. How in touch are you with the current program? With uh, maybe if you met Coach Lovelady? Oh yeah, definitely. Yeah. I worked out there the last uh, last uh, two off seasons, I guess it would be. And nice. I met them, and uh, I know they made some changes to their staff this year. Classroom was actually the last coach that that I played for um, when I was there. So all the coaches are gone. But I've, I've met Richard, and he's, he's awesome, and he's done he's done a good job with their program and going up there the last couple of years I met some of the kids and had some uh, yeah. some relationships with them yeah like who have you met that you've maybe stayed Tyler Osick got drafted yeah. this year and uh, mm-hmm. we've talked a couple times this year about you know hitting and stuff like that he just got promoted to uh, to low A uh, over there in Kannapolis with the White Sox and, uh, yeah it's just guys like that anyone who you know, I go see up there when I'm hitting, you know, try to talk to you. Yeah, it's cool. Um, favorite minor league city? Favorite minor league city? Oh. Nashville is a fun place to play. Why is that? It's just kind of like the... It's my first game called up from Double A, and just like kind of like the city, the vibe, and almost like a big like atmosphere. You know, with the city right behind and everything. So it's a hmm. Favorite moment? Favorite personal moment for you this year in season? Probably my first home run up there at, uh, at uh, in Kansas City. That was this pretty cool. Yeah. Are you a football fan? Yeah, I'm a football fan. Okay, so obviously football season's coming up. Yeah. Uh, are you repping the national champs? I mean, is it is it is national champs for you for in 2017? Yeah, it's, yeah, definitely. Yeah, we'll see. You okay? See how it goes. But you you you've, uh, you bought into the 2017 national champs. 100. Oh, how can you not? Yeah. Uh, do you you have an idea of who should start a quarterback? Uh, not sure. I know it's uh, between uh, you got a freshman coming up and uh, yeah, it's between so, Dylan Gabriel and Brandon Wimbush. That's right. Yeah, so yeah. We'll, we'll see how it goes. But you're, you uh, try to get out to any football games uh, during the uh, offseason? Once or one or two a year. Mm-hmm. Um, I definitely go to more tailgates than I do the actual games. Go out there, hang out with the with the with our alumni. We got ten out there, and then go back. But. Yeah, I know it's fun to watch every year. I know you and Chasen over, don't overlap as far as college careers, but um, because you do play for the same coaching staff, uh, did you guys talk? Did you guys have share stories about playing for Terry Rooney or oh, yeah, moments yeah. like that? Yeah, we had you know the same. We were years apart, but the same, pretty much the same staff, and you know we talk about it all the time. And we got uh, Austin Adams who's a USF Bold, and so we try to give him a hard time sometimes too. Yeah, no, it's 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 cool. Alumni or alumni. Did you guys win? So, like in November, you call them up about the Warren I four game and maybe. Yeah, yeah, we were talking about that. I know. Go uh, see Austin what's still lives in. Uh, he still lives in Tampa, so we were talking about that earlier. And, uh, huh? Yeah, we'll see. We'll see what comes about. Yeah, we haven't made any plans yet, but we'll see. We'll see if we got something going on. Well, I appreciate it. Thank you, sir. Good luck to you. So there's Dylan Moore this morning from Tropicana Field and. 
hopefully we have more UCF players who play in the major leagues uh, very soon. Because I like, I, I love these trips. It really is too bad that Jason Bradford's currently hurt and not on the active roster. Um, but again, we've got Eric Skoglund with the Royals. Bo Taylor's now with the Blue Jays, possibly. Maybe they'll come up in September. And if they do, and they play in the Florida area, then maybe I'll go to another baseball game. Yes. Uh, Dylan's stats this year, by the way, uh, I mean, this is his official rookie season, right? Yeah, he has qualified. Year, yes. Yeah. So he's, uh, right now he's hitting 201 on base of 302, five homers, 14 runs batted in, uh, 35 hits in 174 at bats. So. Um, a modest start, I would say, to his major league career. But um, you think he'll you think he'll be sticking around? I know he's on a he's on a one year contract right now. He's through this year at five hundred sixty five k. But uh, you, you think they'll you think they'll stick they'll stick with him here? Well, I think what works in Dylan's favor right now is just the team he's on. Right, like the Mariners are really bad. And so they'll they'll take anybody who can give them position versatility. And Dylan does that because Dylan can play the outfield in the left field corner and he can play infield at second or short or third. So it gives them versatility. But really, I mean, I, I just don't think he has enough offensive game profile to, to really stick with a better team. So and that's just being honest. But but, hey, it works for him now and he's here now. So. Yay! <laughs> well, hopefully he'll uh, his. Uh, hopefully they will stick with him, and and you know if he has some improvement, they'll keep him around. Go ahead, Eric. I'm sorry. Yeah, no, I think it's interesting. I mean, he is a utility player, as you know, Brian. I mean, if he can play multiple positions, even if it, you know, if he's solid defensively, you know, you can right. maybe hang around there. I mean, you never know with uh, with Dylan there. I mean, I think he's probably arguably been uh, the best UCF player as far as. Uh, I remember him at UCF there towards the end of the Rooney era. He was kind of a one of their top players there. So I mean, you know, just making it to the big leagues is a big is a challenge is in itself, isn't it, Murph? I mean, we make it really sound is. like it's easy, but it really isn't. I mean, people can look at Dylan Moore's stat line and you know, yeah, he's not he doesn't pop off the page offensively, but he's in the major leagues. I mean, yeah. it's a big it's a big feat. I know he's not doing that great. He'd probably like to do a lot better statistically, but. He's in the major leagues. <laughs> I know, and that I mean, shouldn't really, be that shouldn't be taken away from him either. I mean, that's uh, it is such an achievement, deal. even to even to get. I mean, it's like Moonlight Graham, right? I mean, to get just one at bat is a spectacular achievement, and you know that's something that I think UCF should be proud of, and I know Dylan is certainly proud of. So, yeah. um, all right, real 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 quick, Brian, real quick before we sign yeah. off, uh, we're not going to spend time on why there hasn't been more success from UCF baseball in the big leagues. That's a long conversation for another day but let's I want to focus on the other guy that's in that ballpark you saw was Chad Matola you spoke to last year uh, is on is on the Rays staff the Rays are having a good year even though they didn't have a good series against the Mariners but they did win the game you were at they're they're in the mix to make the playoffs uh, is Chad Matola maybe I mean we, we always think of players when we think of faces of UCF and in, 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 in your schools and pro sports but you know and we've always kind of put Drew Butera as that guy for the baseball program but couldn't we make an argument that Chad Matola, with the success that he seems to be having with the Rays, and you've obviously hung around the baseball media there, it seems like they're happy with him. Could he be really the guy we should focus on more as uh, the success in carrying the UCF flag as far as the big leagues are concerned? Maybe, you know, we and the media could or those who like are the 
the baseball intelligentsia would give him credit, but the fan, the fan is not going to recognize a hitting coach. I mean, they just are not. They're just not drawn to that. They want players. There's a reason why we follow players. So yeah, Chad has done a really nice job as a race hitting coach, um, and, and you know, but for me, because of the longevity of his career, Drew Butera is still, uh, you know, the number one in my book for UCF players. He's going to be the number one in my book too, at least as of right now. Although, if Eric, I think you bring up an interesting point. If, say, Chad Matola one day works himself into a manager job, which you'd never rule out in that position, that would be an interesting case to make. So. Well, especially, especially with the Rays, they've had a lot of guys like Rocco Baldelli went on to be the manager of the Twins, yeah. uh, Dave Martinez. I mean, there's a history. There were a lot of Rays hitting coaches and, and, and so moved on. So uh, could that be the next step there? You think for Chad is moving on down the road, maybe gets a managing opportunity if they continue the success down there. Possibly, you know, I, I didn't talk to Chad today, um, but that'd be interesting to bring up. And that's a good point. They do have a good history of assistant coaches moving on to get big jobs and actually have success, you know, with their, their own selves. Obviously, Baldelli's had a great first year in Minnesota. Martinez has turned around the Nats after a really bad start. Uh, so they're both looking at the playoffs, and um, you know, I think part of that's because of the, the tutelage you get in that Rays organization, not just with under Joe Madden, but just the way they, they, they look at the game. Those guys then take those those insights the organization passes down and uses them when they're their own manager, and I think that feeds into how their teams play and win. So, yeah, maybe so, and maybe that's something I could ask Chad next time, and Maybe not so directly, like, is he looking for a, a managerial job, but is that the goal for him? Is that ultimately something he really wants to do, be a manager in Major League Baseball? In which case, if he becomes a manager and one who stays with the team for a, a number of years and becomes, uh, you know, at some point successful, then, yeah, then he would probably rise to the top of the list because the manager is different than an assistant coach. That's true. That's true. Well, uh, we'll be keeping an eye on that, and who knows, if the Rays' bass continue to improve, we might see that. We might see his name get brought up amongst baseball insiders like you, Murph, uh, even oh, more. So. <laughs> All right, we're going to wrap it up here on the Black and Gold Banneret Podcast. Thanks for sticking with us through this really, really long show. But uh, we had a lot of stuff that we want to get out to you. We want to get it out to you before the first week of football actually starts. So thanks again to Scott Calabrese, uh, UCF men's soccer head coach. Thanks again to Todd Dagenet. Thanks, of course, to uh, Colin Yeager. And welcome aboard, Colin for setting up uh, or for setting that up and Megan Herboth as well and thanks to uh, Dylan Moore and the folks from the Seattle Mariners and the Seattle Bay Rays for helping us out uh, grabbing a hold of Dylan for uh, this show again make sure you follow us at UCF underscore banner and on Twitter follow us individually at Jeff underscore Sharon Eric Lopez Elo and Spokes underscore Murphy facebook.com slash black and gold banner and of course black and gold for Eric and Brian I'm Jeff thanks for listening we'll catch you next week Football's right around the corner, baby. We'll catch you as we preview UCF's opener against FAMU next week right here on the Black and Gold Banneret Podcast.